Welcome to Pro Running News. Welcome back. If you're a regular listener, Matt and Dave speaking all about the London Marathon 2023 that happened three days ago now. There was lots of action uh, at London, including a, well, the second fastest time ever by a uh, male and also a very interesting finish to the women's race. And we're about to dive into all of the events that happened and all of the things that we observed on the day. Uh, Dave, we had pretty good weather out there in London. I think uh, we both spoke off air before about how uh, the conditions probably looked a little bit worse on the coverage than what they were. We were both out there running on the streets. Uh, but yeah, how would you find it? And uh, we can get into talking about the women's race first. Yeah, sure. I think, yeah, look, watching back the coverage, it definitely looked rainy, uh, rainier than it was. It wasn't that rainy. I, you know, I ran mass start and uh, so I was, you know, behind all of the elites and was fine for our race, like bits and pieces of drizzle. Um, understand the choice of a cap, uh, but I also, you could, you got away with that one. Um, so, you know, that probably gives insight. Nice and cool. Uh, road's a bit wet, but not terrible. Uh, I mean, the women's race was, I think probably, I mean, the, the race itself was probably better than the men's race in some respects. Uh, and, and maybe more surprising as well, which says a lot. But uh, again, Bridget Cosguy, one of the pre-race favorites, was out in, you know, a couple hundred meters, which was really sad to see almost. And the camera sort of lingered on her and she looked a bit like, sheepish and sort of smiled and like waved and you know pre-race she mentioned she had a hamstring niggle so not sure why she lined up assume a mixture of like hope and finances i don't know but um yeah it's a bit sad to see and a bit you know a bit iffy like to have that it's a bit sad because she would have been cool for the race it would have been good to see her finally you know really get to race parachip chair again first time since the olympics so um i think all eyes or, or many eyes were on uh safan hassan uh, who sat you know did what she does on the track which is really interesting just sort of sits at the back of the pack and was happy to do so and i think look to be honest that makes a ton of sense in a marathon a little bit less than a 1500 meters but it makes a ton of sense um yeah and like the things just sort of cruised along um pacemakers going at 19k 61 minutes in hassan dropped off just a you know, quad stretch glute stretch you look really uncomfortable sort of lateral hip, maybe anterior hip, sort of looking at hip flexor, TFL, that sort of area. Uh, and, and the commentators are like, oh, no, that's it. She's done. She's off the back, gone. Um, and I think everyone else thought that as well. Cramping is such a weird thing. I mean, we saw Christian Blumenfeld cramp up in a PTO race last year in the middle of the run. And yeah. I thought at that point he's done. There's no way he can run another 10K if he's already yeah. cramping. But then he backed up and and actually pressed the pace further on and and, and finished really fast. I obviously we were out there racing at the time, so we weren't watching live, but <clears throat> it was really odd to see cramping occur before halfway and to finish so well. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. When I watched the replay of it, of course I already knew the result. Uh, I was watching it just thinking, how have you run another hour and 10 minutes or hour and 15 minutes uh, after experiencing yeah. cramps that have forced you to basically stop and, and stretch on the side of the road. But um, yeah. You know, she obviously either um, maybe maybe it was a nutrition thing for her. Like I'm I'm not clear, but either way, uh, unreal to, uh, to to see that because I think oftentimes people when they do cramp up, they think you know the end is near. Like they can't really really sustain much more uh, in terms of time while cramping. But I mean, she really proved that wrong. So um, yeah, and if you watch, if you then transition watching her cramping at 19k to watching her sprint finish, where she just completely gapped two other, you know, very high quality athletes in the last 150 meters while she's closed in, I don't know, probably 17 seconds for the last hundred or faster. I'm just guessing there. Um, yeah. yeah. Really impressive to see. Yeah. I mean, I thought what was, you know, the, the good lesson to learn here is from her. Yes. Okay. You can come back in the marathons long, but also how she came back. Mm -hmm. So she was off the back um, 
at 19K. And then you, on the coverage, you don't notice her again until 25K. But at 25K, they said, oh, she's, she's sort of there in the background. I saw her, you know, for me, I was running and I passed that group um, as they were coming back along the embankment or just before the embankment. So they'd done a loop um, and coming back. So they were at like 30 something kilometers and she was off the back there. There was sort of a group of four, there's a couple and there was her and she was sort of there. And I thought, oh, she's fallen off the back. She's just been dropped, obviously not realizing it was going the other way. But um, she basically was dropped at 61K when she stopped and was back back on at two hours. So she took an hour to make that gap up, which, you know, was significant, but not that big a gap. You could, Something that she could have made up by running quicker pretty quickly, right? She probably could have made it back on there in 15 minutes if she wanted to. Um, so I think it's a good bit of advice there in terms of A, how long the marathon is, but B, how to make that sort of distance up as well. I think it's a really, um, it's a salient point that no one really mentioned is like how smart she was to do that, mm. um, to try and to sort of get back on at that point. Um, I mean, Effectively, what happened aside from, you know, uh, for Safan Hassan aside, you basically had Paris Jiptachia, um just controlling things. You had, you know, all of the regulars in that group uh, in there. So previous winners, Yelimzef, uh, I struggle with this name. So my my apologies. Yeah. I'm just going to grab it up here to read it properly. Uh, Yelimzef Yehalu, yeah. um, she was there. Uh, you had McGurtu there as well. And they sort of jogged along, slowly burnt people off. And obviously, Safan got back on. There was an interesting moment at 40 kilometers as well. So just after um, Safan and Sana got back on. And you watch them. They're all looking at the blue line, the shortest line. And then what you see is Paris Sheptachia drift right from there while the line is drifting left. And everyone's following the line. Paris Sheptachia grabs her bottle. The others realize what's happened, turn around and run back to grab bottles, mm. uh, Magurtu and, and Safana San. And I mean, that speaks to A, what's required to win a marathon normally, which is knowledge of the course, right? You need to know where the course is, know where the hills are, the tactical aspects, and then where your bottles are coming from if you're an elite or if, where, where water is if you're non-elite. And uh, that was really interesting. I think yeah, probably my big takeaway is Safana San is the exception that proves the rule. And the rule is you need to know the course, you need to know tactically what's going on and you need to have practiced fueling and that sort of stuff because she obviously hadn't and she spoke a little bit about that after getting the bottle she actually offered it first to other people before she actually having a drink as well which is madness um you also probably don't need a bottle at 40ks you can have one and there's no problems having it but Safan grabbed a bottle and drank a lot from it uh which was really interesting it just struck me as someone who was making decisions on the spot rather than really having thought things through which it's not a criticism as much as like the reality for her. It's not something she had a lot of experience with. She trained through Ramadan. Uh, she wouldn't have had the opportunity to do a lot of this practice um, unless she was running in the middle of the night. So uh, really interesting uh, to see there. And then I guess like I just, Mugurtu made a bit of a move probably like 700 meters from the end. Like it's way too late. Mm -hmm. Like what, I mean, it makes sense that if no one else had made it, then Mugurtu makes it there. But I just don't understand why Bridget uh, by, sorry, my parish ships, she wasn't making a move earlier or trying to do something because the, you're just, you've got one of the out and out fastest women that's lived in the middle distance right there. Like, what, what are you waiting for? Yeah. She's, it's not going to get easier. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I just didn't make sense. And then, you know, by the time you get to the corner with 200 meters to go, you're like, well, we know how this ends. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, Magoti came second, uh, beat parish ships, so maybe that's why Paris didn't go because she didn't have it. So, you know, fair enough. And I mean, five women under 219, 
Yeah, that's, I was about to say, I think that's, uh, I don't know if that's ever happened before. If it has, it would only have been once or twice. But that's a very, um, yeah, it's a very strong field for sure. Very strong finishing field. Yeah, I mean, Hassan, 218.33. Magurtu, 218.37. Perish, Shepshichir, 218.38. So nice and close there. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, yeah, that was just really interesting. The shame is, uh, I, I, I would have thought that that would have been a perfect pace for Ailish to be in the mix as well. Having just run 65, uh, 43, I think it was, or 40 something. Um, you know, I actually thought before I heard the news that she was struggling with more injuries and, and the whole sponsorship thing, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, I thought that 218 would be the perfect pace for her to go at, um, you know, through through in sort of 69, um, just based on, you know, looking, looking at different pace calculators and so forth. So, yeah, it's a shame she wasn't able to line up. Um, a few weird things that happened with her, I think, in the in the lead up with uh, some of the announcements made. I don't think the injury things were were strange, but I think the sponsorship call was a little bit of an odd one. We can talk a little bit about. Yeah, for sure. Um, any other thoughts on the race? Just to close up before we we talk about uh, Ailish. Uh, no, I just think it was a shame to see Bridget Koskar go early on. You know, I think that people were looking forward to seeing if she was going to be. Um, yeah. you know, a, a favorite to win or at least to be to be pushing the field to a faster time, given that she's uh, you know, a 214 04 06, uh, something uh, world record holder. And um, yeah, a bit of a bummer to, to see that happen. But I think at the end of the day, when you ever see a marathon with a sprint finish with three three women going for it with a few hundred meters to go, it's always it's always a it's always a good thing to see. And you know, we obviously saw something pretty similar to some extent in, in Boston the week before, where there was a whole lot of women together with 40, you know, with 2k to go. and yeah, really good to see, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can see some more men's races like this where there's a where there's you know with a couple of k to go, we we're not really sure who's gonna who's gonna take it, but um, yeah, uh, really, I mean, there's so much more to be spoken about with Safan, which we'll go into soon because yeah, um, yeah just looking just, at her, just looking at her range and her results over the distances is just it's I, I want to draw some some comparisons to men's times because it's really fascinating how how talented she is. Yeah, just for the record there, that the, this is a women's only race. So there were no men pacemakers and the world record for a women's only race is 217.01. So, you know, about uh, 100 seconds off that. And then the fastest ever women's debut was Bridget Cosguy, 214.04 in Chicago in 2019. So, you know, that's a really, and, and that's obviously not a women's uh, only race. Mm. So, I mean, some impressive times. So, I mean, Stefan's a little bit off those, but yeah. Also, she spoke about being scared the day before. So, I mean, <laughs> she wasn't, I, I wouldn't say she thought her prep was perfect if she was scared going into it. Let's put it that when, way. When I heard that she had participated in maybe the wrong word or she'd been, uh, she'd done Ramadan and she yeah. just fasted for 30 days, I think it's 30 days, four weeks um, in the lead up. I honestly thought there's made a pretty minimal chance she's going to be competitive. <laughs> I just thought, I don't know. Uh, I, I just thought how, how difficult those long runs that she's been having to do in preparation for London without any fueling, without being able to recover properly afterwards. I just thought that's a severe hindrance, but goes to show how talented she is. And um, it'd be, I, I'm yeah, very curious to know if she continues on in her marathon journey, because I think uh, the world record is well and truly under threat very soon. If she does continue to go down that path, I mean, just look at the way that she closed that last hundred meters. I mean, how often do you see people sprinting like that after yeah. after the uh, at the end of a marathon? It's pretty rare. Yeah, I mean, she, she wasn't even allowed to drink water on those long runs either. Um, so, really interesting. Um, yeah, it's it's tough, tough to understand. But I know she's going back to the track, which is also exciting. Uh, but let's get to uh, Ailish as well. Uh, actually, just to touch on that, uh, you mentioned the, the Roman. I think the other thing she couldn't do is practice fueling. 
yeah. right? And it's something we talked about um, in when we started to do some preview around uh, stepping up to your first marathon, right? And we were talking about how hard that is because of getting fueling and stuff, right? And, and you know, she didn't have that, that, real, that real opportunity. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, one thing I didn't realize with Ailish, um, recently the rules have changed such that you're allowed a second sponsor on your kit, um, which is the genesis of the problems that Ailish had in terms of the sponsorship stuff. So I didn't realize that. I thought it just was something that hadn't happened, but apparently the rules changed recently. So Ailish was to have her nutrition sponsor, SIS, on her um, race bib or a singlet. Oh, sorry, not a bib. Um, and was told that that was a conflict with Luke as a, the race sponsor. And so she couldn't uh, do that, which was really interesting. Hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, the biggest question is like, could she have just had a small logo or no logo of SIS at all? I understand that she's probably got obligations with SIS to do that at the major marathon, but I was a little bit surprised to see her read that she wasn't able to run it at all. I would have thought there would be a different solution. Oh, she would have been able to run it. She's not with that. Like it would have been that she can't run it with that and therefore she won't run it, right? It's sort of like a bit of a standoff. I don't think they would have said to her, oh, you're an SAS athlete, therefore you're not allowed to race here. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, there are... Instagram post was something like she wasn't allowed to race it at all. And I was like, surely there's a way around this. Yeah. Uh, let me put it this way. I, I think the total number of LucasAid sponsored athletes totals closer closer to zero than it does to one so um i i yeah i i don't think it's because she's got another sponsor i think it's because she had it on her kit and they would have said you can't race in that and she said well that's the kit she would have it in her contract to race with that i'm sure right. um the sas contract would have that so she would sort of be stuck unable to do that because she would want to race it but also not be able to in that kit but then also not be able to race without that kit that's my read on it i might be wrong here and apologies if i am but yeah that's kind of my read on it um yeah, I think she made a good point, which is they need to be able to earn money and this sort of thing is a big money earner for them. And and look, the I sent this to a couple of triathletes and they're like, I don't see what the problem is. Have you seen triathlon? Uh, and, you know, it's, it's a good point in terms of, you know, they've got sponsors everywhere. Um, my counterpoint to that was even when I was running, you know, regional and state championships when I was a kid, like you used to have to cover your spike bag because it was a different sponsor. And I'm sure you had the same thing. Or you, if you're, if the uh, tights you were wearing were a different brand, you used to have to cover them. So um, you have to cover logos. So this is not new for track and fields as a, so, and running. Um, it's good to see that we're opening it up and I think it needs to happen more. Um, do I want to see formula one type of things? Maybe like maybe we need full cool kits so that like you can buy them and they can be, um, like more value to sponsors and therefore there's more money in running. Maybe that's what we need. Uh, I don't know. I'm not too much of a purist about it though. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, there's athletes that have spoken out about this at length before Nick Simmons being one big one about 10 years ago, who, uh, who was one of the best 800 guys in the world. Um, he was pretty outspoken about some of the rules in running being very restrictive to sponsors. And yeah, it's a shame. Um, <clears throat> I was I was a bit surprised to read that about Alish and hopefully it sounds like they've had a meeting to try and sort that out. So it'd be interesting to see what came as a result of that. Yeah, well, she's uh, got an agreement with Abbott, I think, as I understand it. And uh, they're the sponsor, the, the title sponsor for the World Marathon Majors. So um, yeah. yeah, can't can't be having, can't be having that happen. So uh, no doubt they sorted it out. So that's good to hear. Looking forward to see her finally debuting at some point in the marathon. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and then Safan, I mean, there's, Questions around, is she, you know, the best ever? And, and we talked about, I think you and I talked about off-air Helena Beery and her range and, and how impressive that was. Um, I mean, other names in the area, obviously Tiranish Tababa is probably the first one that comes to mind. But it's hard to know who's the best. It's probably a bit of time to, you know, we'll have to see what happens if Safan breaks world records and, and 
wins many major marathons. It's a different discussion. It's easy to talk about potential, but that's a bit, it's a bit premature. But her range uh, is the interesting thing. World Athletics put out a thing questioning whether she had the best range ever. And it just, it's mind blowing. If you haven't seen the Instagram post, we have the times here. Uh, you, might, you might go through them with some corollaries for the men there, Matt. I think it's, it's just unbelievable looking at it. Yeah, 156. 800, which is about three seconds off the world record. Uh, 351, 1500, which is only one second off the world record. She's run a 412 mile, an 818 3K, 1422 5K, 2906 10K, which is also very close to the world record. Um, I believe it could be only a couple of seconds. We can look that up. Um, half marathon 65, 15, which I believe she's only had a go at that only once or twice, I think, or at least it's, it hasn't been too many attempts. And then debut marathon 218. I mean, <clears throat> to draw parallels to the men's, that's the equivalent of basically a man running around 143 high, 144 low in the 800, which is obviously, I mean, 156.8 is always going to rank you in the top five women in the world that year. Um, that's her personal best. And that's basically the equivalent of running a 143 high or 144 low 800. And then a 218 marathon, I mean, let's just say how far away it, that is from the world record. It's obviously four seconds off the world record. So for the men, that's probably the equivalent of running around a 205 or a 206. Uh, I understand that you can't draw exact parallels to time off the world record because it's more of a percentage thing, but you have to assume that that's basically like a man going up, um, stepping up from running a 144 flat 800 to running around about a 205 or a 206 marathon, which we never see. Uh, I think Mo Farah's range is pretty impressive. Yeah. I can't actually think of too many more people that have run, you know, a 1500 that fast and then also a marathon that fast. He's run 328 for the 1500, which is two seconds off the world record. And then also he's run 20, is it 206 or 205? um yeah. somewhere there yeah yeah and interestingly he you know um he he didn't like he ran 206 205 but was never really a factor like, he didn't win a world marathon major running 206 or 205 whereas Stefan won this which is you know pretty impressive i mean also to note she's you know those times are what they are but she's also had a world she was a world champ in the 1500 she was uh, a world record holder in the mile She's a European record holder in the 3K. Uh, she won, obviously, gold at the Olympics in the 1500, the 5,000 and the 10,000 with the bronze in the 1500 in uh, the 2021 Olympics. And then she's a European record holder uh, for the, well, she, she held the European record for the half marathon, um, probably until Eilish broke it, which is, yeah, baffling. Just baffling. She's, yeah, perhaps the most exciting thing in women's running maybe is, is what we can say at the moment. Although Helena Beery in, in marathoning may be more exciting. It's hard to know. Yeah. But uh, looking forward to a showdown between those two. Let's be honest. Like, it'd be nice to see those two and then Perisheps Cheer and Bridget Cosgo on the same start line. Those four would be a fun marathon start line. Um, watching for the fireworks, two track runners, two marathoners. Like, yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we've already pointed out, it's probably safe to say that she's got a long way to go in the in, in the marathon too. I, I really hope that she. Uh, I know that she has said that she's going to the uh, you know back to the track and focusing on that through the Olympics, but um, I do hope that she eventually goes back to back to focusing on the marathon because I think there's a long way to go there. Obviously, I mean, like we've spoken about before many times, it's pretty rare for someone to run their absolute best in the first one. It normally takes somewhere between four and eight. Um, yeah. just by the looks of the way that she was stopping for cramping and then also the way that she sprinted at the end like yeah she's got so much so much left so it'd be really yeah, cool for sure yeah for sure all righty men's race so i mean this was yeah i mean kelvin this kipton five, this was the most i don't know the right word probably the craziest performance i've ever seen in a marathon uh yeah talking about kelvin kipton's second half 
Um, yeah. You know, people, I mean, when Elliot Kipchoge broke the world record uh, earlier this year, well, sorry, last year, he ran 201.09, people thought it was insane that he went through the half in 59.54. And people yeah. thought that's just ridiculous, like sub two hour pace. It never, it never entered my mind that someone would be able to run the second half of a marathon in under an hour in any time. You could say 201, 204, 208, 210. It doesn't matter. I, I just never never thought someone would possibly do that. Um, and not yeah. only has he done that, he's run 59, uh, was it 45 or 46? Uh, 45, I think. He's done it running almost the world record, which, yeah, yeah I mean, when I, I mean, when I learned that and looked at the splits, the first thing I thought was, yeah, this the, if this guy can get pace to, to 25, 30K at two-hour marathon pace, he can probably break two hours. If he, if he has a pace of the whole way and and uh and and actually tries to go after that record i mean there's no doubt in my mind or anyone's mind that does the math uh you know that he can break the current world record uh on a on a day where he's at least um uh pressured through to past 30k by maybe some other athletes in a race but that's a, that's obviously the thing that kipchoge struggled to to do in races to try and find people that can pace him or challenge him far enough into the race um, yep. So Kipton's now in that in that sort of no man's land of having. He's basically in order for him to run as fast as he possibly can, he's going to have to basically race Kipchoge and and hope hopefully they'll stick with each other through until thirty k plus. But yeah, who knows what's going to happen? There. But uh, what what were your thoughts? Yeah, well, it was an interesting race to watch because it was just a group. Kipton was very much the alpha in the group. It was pretty apparent. Like he sort of yeah, he was at the back for a bit, but he pretty much sat on the paces the whole time. Um. Everyone was sort of jogging along. It was all sort of pretty good. And then at about halfway, Kipton started giving the paces a bit of a gobful. It was like, come on, guys, pick it up. And they started going a bit quicker. Um, and that started to burn a few people off. And then things got a little bit hotter for a while. Guys are throwing beanies off, throwing gloves off. Like every, it, was, it was a very apparent moment in the race. Where it was like, oh, it's about to get thrown down here because every single, like almost the whole pack took something off. We had gloves, be it arm warmers, be it a beanie, all of the above. Like everyone was like discarding things. And then coming into drink station at like the 90 minute mark, Kipton misses his bottle um, and just decided, I've heard it in a post-race interview. It was insane. He was like, they said, oh, was it a calculator movie? He said, no, nah, I, I missed my bottle and I wanted it. And then I thought, I'll just try go now. And he just went. And then, you know, he went pretty hard and kept looking back. Uh, Jeffrey Cameron went with him or tried to, or went as well. Um, it's probably the best way to do it. Like he picked it up as well. It just, you know, it was different. Like it's just, it, it wasn't the same as what he, as what uh, Kelvin Kipton was doing. And then, you know, he kicked past. So he went, um, where is splits? I've got them here somewhere. So he went from 30 to 35 K he ran 1349. And then from 35 to 40 K he ran 1401, which as you said uh, before was a 2750 10k on the road uh from 30 to 40 kilometers in a marathon and then his last 2k's or 2.195 k's was 612 which is a you know 249 pace so he yeah that's that's fast <laughs> i don't i don't know what else to say there big, like head, he, big, big headache for kipchoge for sure leading into the olympics i mean the way well, he's the way that he's racing by close like because in Valencia he did something similar he ran the second half in sixty twenty five I think it was or sixty thirty which is the which was the fastest up until this time what was the fastest second half of a race ever how how are you going to compete with this guy I mean I understand the Olympics marathon is a 
very different ball game. No paces. This one, this particular one's going to be hilly, of which he hasn't proven himself over a hilly course. He's only done Valencia and London, which are both pretty flat. But still, I mean, the way that he's closing and the way that he's putting, pressing the pace from 30k onwards is very. It's hard for me to believe that he's he's uh yeah. It's going to be hard to compete with him when it comes to a race. Well, who do you select for the Kenyan team? You got three. We got three choices because you got Kelvin Kipton's just won this one. You had th- Kenyans one through three in Boston. Uh, you got Kipchoge came sixth in Boston, has got form. You got Jeffrey Kamoror who came second here and he's got to be Kipchoge, Kipton, and uh, Chibet. I mean, could it could easily be that, but it could also not be. Who knows? I don't know how you can possibly. I mean, uh, you're right, but like, I'm not sure. I mean, Kipchoge, come on, they have to pick him. <laughs> like, there's no way around that. Surely he's just run the world. He currently has a world record, and it's, let's remember, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, it was only eight months ago. Uh, and I know the team's not picked right now, but Tibet is winning all the majors and Kiptum's, yeah. I mean, it'd be surprising if anyone else was picked out of those three. But yeah, there are some there are some really strong runners outside of those as well. But I think those three are the clear standouts to me. Yeah, it's it it yeah, it's really yeah, I wouldn't want to be picking the team. Let's put it that way. Wouldn't want to be picking that team. Um so ultimately Kelvin Kipton runs, as we said, two oh one twenty-five, so second fastest time ever. Uh, not far off Kipchoge's world record. Uh, runs a negative split, which makes me happy because I think that's the better way to run a marathon until this point. Kipchoge was the, uh, you know, the exception that proved the rule. Uh, to use that phrase again, uh, we mentioned Jeffrey Camaror came through in two hundred four twenty three, which is great. Um, it's good to see him back after a good performance at World Cross. Uh, obviously, getting hit by that motorcycle whilst training uh, a while ago, so it's nice to see him back doing his thing. Uh, Tamarat Tola from Ethiopia was 204.59, which was good to see. Um, I mean, other people that were interesting, Emil Caress, uh, the first British man, ran a really smart race, ran 208.07, paced it really, really well, came past Mo Farah late um, or pretty late into it, um, just really smart uh, race that smart. So did Phil Sessman, actually, who's the other British guy. He ran past Farah in the shoot, sprinted past him, beat him by five seconds, so... Uh, obviously, Mo's last marathon to 10.28 for him, which is, I mean, disappointing for him, I think. I think he was trying to push it to go faster earlier. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say about that. It, uh, he obviously won against Bikili because Bikili didn't make it very far. He dropped out by about the Tower Bridge from memory. Um, he was sort of dropped off the back at that point. I don't think he um, he did much from there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Caress, the other thing with him is he DNF last year. Um, so he ran really smart, but he DNF last year. I think he paced um, last year, though, didn't he? Or... Uh, it might have been. He might have been a pacer. You're right, actually. I think he was a pacer. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think they mentioned that at the coverage now that I remember it. But looking at his World Athletics, I thought it was his debut, but then it said DNF last year. So it must have been a pacer. Yeah. Um, yeah he was pacing one of the lead packs. Yeah. Actually, I wanted to mention that it's great to see the pacer kit. Jeez, it helps. Yeah. It's so nice to know who actually is relevant and who isn't in um in the in the league group. Yeah. It's just like, oh, those are the paces. Okay, cool. Um, their own kit. It has pace in their bib. Yeah. I think it's good. I mean, I, I would tolerate it having their name on their bib, but it, just with the pace, so um, singlet. Um, but yeah. Any other thoughts from you, mate, on that, on the race? Aside from like just being astounded by Kelvin Kipton? Um, yeah, Cam War. I mean, it, I think that might be a PB for him, or at least it's close. Uh, yeah, like solid run from him. Basically kept the pace, slowed a little bit at the end. Uh, Tola. Um, yeah, otherwise, I would say that almost the whole top 10 was around about what I, where I thought they'd be. I actually predicted Emil to run 208.00 uh, to a couple of friends, so I was pretty close there. Um, yep. That was based off, you know, uh, well, it's always difficult to know in a debut how people are going to go. But, yeah, he did run 60 
uh, and a half in Valencia last year in October. So that, you know, anyone that can run 60 and a half technically, if they, um, provided that they can convert well and they can you know, train specifically for the marathon, I think 207 or 208 is possible. Um, so yeah, really good to see him basically nail his first one, in my opinion. Like it would have been really surprising to see him go much quicker than that in his first one. Uh, good to see Phil get back down to, you know, well, sorry, get down to 210 because he's been on 212 for a little while. So good to see him knock out a, 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 a 210 and he's um, putting himself in contention for those, you know, for that spot in the Olympics, I guess. But the selection is really tough there with the auto standard being 208.10, which Emil just went under, luckily, um, by three yeah. seconds. Uh, and then Farah, yeah, who knows? I mean, he did run that very ordinary for him, uh, 10K a couple of weeks earlier in 30.40 something, which ever, which gave everyone a little bit of a, uh, put a big question mark over his fitness. But, you know, <laughs> uh, I think 30.49 is 210 or 211 pace. So it's good to see that he uh, he was still able to produce a pretty pretty decent result for him. Uh, obviously yeah. well off his best. But um, yeah, otherwise, yeah. I think the, the results were pretty much what I, what I thought they'd be. But Kelvin, uh, I did say to you before that, that I think there'd be a small chance of a world record, but I didn't hear anything about a world record attempt or any sort of paces going for 60-30. Had I heard that, I would have thought, okay, maybe it could be on here. Uh, I didn't hear anything at all. I tried to get some information beforehand. I didn't, couldn't hear anything about pace groups, so I just assumed, okay, it's going to be probably just a race uh, with a you know, 61-30, 62 first half. But uh, I, I just can't. I really can't believe someone's run 201-25 off a 61-40 first, first half. That's That's just ridiculous. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's they asked him post race if he was going to go for it. He basically said, I'm going to go back and train and do that. I mean, he's an interesting character, apparently, he's self coached, which is just fascinating. Um, yeah, I've, yeah sent he's his, also... uh, I've sent his his uh, manager an email asking if he can come on uh, on, on the podcast to, to do an interview. Yeah. I haven't heard yet, but so we'll see. That'd be cool. Speaking yeah, of his manager, sure they had. Speaking of his manager, they had a bit of a headache. Um, some controversy. Obviously, ran Valencia in uh, Nike kit and Nikes, and then has since apparently in Kenya signed with Qigong Sports or Chiodon Sports. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce that. We have links to this in the show notes. It's a Chinese brand, uh, famously apparently uh, sued by Michael Jordan for claiming that Jordan was signed by them and stealing some of his IP, including uh, apparently the name means Jordan um, in, in a Chinese language. I'm not sure about that. And then apparently also stole the logo, the famous Jumpman logo. So it's just a really fascinating story. Apparently they were, yeah, I don't know what's going on. The stories are all like, you know, cut and paste from each other, but this company thinks they have him on a contract. Obviously he ran a Nike gear um, pro kit from Nike uh, interestingly, in the Vaporfly twos, not the threes, but yeah. he did run. Um, they run a Nike kit. Sounds like Nike, uh, yeah, have it. So let's see what happens. Let's watch the space. Uh, it may be a storm in a teacup, but interesting nonetheless. And you know, uh, I assume you all assume that we will speak about these things. So yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like that's be remiss of us not to mention it. We should learn um, more about that really soon. Yeah, a couple of course thoughts uh, similar to last week. Wanted to give you all a bit of an idea about the course. Uh, probably the only things of note, um, it's through it's way onwards. So if you are using GPS, uh, I would be, yeah, not not taking too much notice of that and being using the 5K markers uh, or indeed mile markers. I was running with a guy who was using a Casio watch. That's what he always runs with. And uh, nice. that's it, just stopwatch. And as you said, the stopwatch has never been wrong. 
and I would encourage people to do uh, a bit more of that, uh, which is really cool to see. Uh, there's a bit of downhill in the first half. The commentators are all saying the second half is quicker. I'm not sure why they think that. Um, I, you know, I think they're pretty similar. Uh, maybe it is quicker the second half, but uh, the first half has definitely got some downhill. And uh, yeah, there's not a lot else to say about the course. Get to see the landmarks. It's cool. Any thoughts from you, mate, uh, on this? No, I didn't make the full distance, so I can't speak to the second half. But um, the first half does have a little bit of a little bit of downhill, but it's not much. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it, the crowd the crowd is unreal though. There, I mean, yeah, I would say it's probably on par to New York or or maybe slightly bigger than Berlin. And in the sense of, um, there's really not very many periods of of the race where there's no crowd, yeah. uh, which is really cool. In Berlin, there are some sections where it's a little bit quiet, especially in the first half. But um, yeah, really, yeah. really. Good. I'd say the density is more in this than Berlin as well. Like Berlin, you may have people all around, but it's sort of one deep. Whereas like you get to the tower bridge and it's like four deep on either side. It's pretty, uh, pretty full on. Um, there is a bit of a bit more quiet through Canary Wharf, but it's still pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. Um, results of our polls. So again, threw these polls out for people um, and, and thought we'd get some thoughts here. Remembering most people actually preferred, uh, they were more excited about Boston. I'm not sure how that's aged. I was definitely more excited about Boston. This may have been a more exciting race, a bit more happening. It's hard to know. Um, it was certainly exciting. So good to see there. Um, Battle of the 40-year-olds, we said Bikili versus Farah. 84% of people selected Bikili. Uh, I think we both selected Bikili as well. Um, and yeah, well, Farah won that by virtue of uh, Bikili dropping out. Uh, most likely record to fall 5% said men's world record, 20% said women's world record, 40, uh, 47% said over 40 men's world record, which was us as well. And then women's debut world record was 28%. So, uh, we mentioned what those were before. So, I mean, the closest was uh, men's world record, which is our least selected one. Uh, better debut marathons. We had 47% say Ailish obviously didn't start. Dom Scott got 8%. She, I think ended up coming 10th or 9th. I just need to double check that. I uh, didn't want to do her a disservice there. She ran pretty well for her start. Uh, she 12th, sorry, in 229. Um, and then Safan got 47% and we both picked her. Uh, men's race winner, 47% picked Calvin Kipton. It was us as well. Amos Kipruto ended up pulling out uh, at some point. I'm not sure where. He was 37, uh, 35%. Tamarit Tola got third at 67% and then 11% said others. So that was Camaror, et cetera. Women's race winner, Bridget Cosguy, uh, 55%. Obviously, didn't quite make the finish. Yahala uh, was 17, and then other was 11 into Barber, and we both picked uh, Cosguy there as well. So we were three. So we, sorry, we were uh, two out of five, as were uh, our fans. So thank you for that, everybody. Um, On to. Biggest surprise. What was your biggest surprise, Matt? By the sounds of things, it was how quickly Kelvin Kipton ran his second half. Oh, for sure. I just never... I mean, Safana San winning, I thought, was always a possibility just because we've seen how much he just dominates the 5 and 10K. I mean, if you're running 29.06 for a 10K, um, there's always that chance... I mean, there's always that chance that you're going to be able to run pretty well over the marathon provided that you can get the training right. Yeah, I always thought it was going to be a challenge for her to win um, based on, you know, the fact that it was her first one. She was up against a bunch of really, really talented women. Uh, she just trained through Ramadan, which is very challenging, far from ideal. Uh, but I always thought that possibility was there. I honestly never thought someone would close a marathon in 59-45, though. I just, I just, I just thought if someone asked me if that's possible, I just would have said no. <laughs> it's just not possible. And so, uh, so there it is. It is possible. And Kelvin Kipton did it. So the biggest surprise to me was 
Kelvin Kipton's run and in particular his second half. Uh, if I was watching it live and I saw him split through halfway and I saw him pick up the pace at 30, I would have probably predicted him to run 202.30, uh, you know, and maybe try, you know, cl- close in, uh, you know, maybe around 50, uh, 60, 60 high or 60.30 again. Um, but yeah, yeah. Just, like I said, I, 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 I can't see anyone, including Kipchoge, being able to compete with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the natural answer. What I will say though, to be different, uh, you know, just to the sake of the podcast is the, how quickly you can run a marathon when you mess everything up, uh, as Safan Hassan, that's the thing that surprised me the most. Like she made all the mistakes, bottles, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, and yet, you know, still won the marathon, yeah. uh, in 218. So, uh, you know, that's, surprising is is the word i would use for that yeah and then lucky last one is uh what are we what are you most impressed by mate what do you think most impressed by i'm gonna say kipton again honestly yeah, yeah. i mean yep. uh, i mean emil Karras, very impressed by his his ability yeah. to, to run a, 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 a i mean there's really not very many people especially outside of africa that debut that fast um so you know awesome result by him uh yeah. but it's really hard to go past kipton yeah, I was going to mention him as well because he ran without a pacer. So there were two pace groups. There was the leaders, which he was not part of, and then there was Mo Farah's pace group, uh, which was uh, behind him. So he sort of was in no man's land, pretty much running solo for most of the day and ran a really smart race, a really consistent race and came through the field really well. So uh, it was really, really impressive as well. Um, yeah, so I mean, look, there doesn't need to be much more said. He was impressive. Uh, Safan Hassan's debut, impressive. Uh, particularly her kick at the end and then Calvin Kipton's 10k uh and and second half split is just otherworldly so uh yeah I don't know what else to say just yeah. it's impressive but that's uh that's it for another episode of Pro News so thank you very much everybody um please continue to share like uh follow us on Instagram send us uh topic thoughts if you have them and uh yeah we'll talk to you again soon thanks Matt. about the uh slightly uh unstable internet towards the second half of that uh i am in turkey at the moment and the internet here is a little bit shifty but uh, i don't think there's anything that uh, was missed there so thanks for joining dave and thanks for listening everyone